Wanted to let you know if you did get behind or you were out for any reason, you can get last week's sermon finally at fbcmen.org. fbcmen.org. We finally got that up. The title of today's message is Christians have only one rule for their life, and that is love. Christians have only one rule, and that is love. And you know, normally you would preach something like the, about this on, on uh, uh, Valentine's Day, but we're going verse by verse through the book of 1 John, and so here we are. We're going to continue that today. So if you have your Bibles, please turn to the book of 1 John. And since today is all about love, I thought I would tackle the nine commandments of marriage. Now, before we move on, I want you to note that these are supposed to be jokes and not serious, okay? I don't want angry emails. Thank you. Commandment number one. Marriages are made in heaven, but so are thunder and lightning. Commandment number two. If you want your wife to listen and pay strict attention to every word you say, gentlemen, talk in your sleep. Commandment number three. Marriage is grand and is worth more than a hundred grand. Commandment four. Married life can be very frustrating. In the first year of marriage, the man speaks and the woman listens. In the second year, the woman speaks and the man listens. In the third year, they both speak and the neighbors listen. (laughs) Commandment five. When a man opens the door of the car for his wife, you can be sure of one thing. Either the car is new or the wife is. Commandment six, marriage is when a man and a woman become as one. The trouble starts when they try to decide which one. Commandment seven, before marriage, a man will lie awake all night thinking about something that you say, ladies. But after marriage, he will fall asleep before you finish. Number eight, every man wants a wife who is beautiful, understanding, economical, and a good cook. But the law allows only one wife. Commandment nine, last one, a man is incomplete until he is married. After that, he is finished. The book of 1 John is one of the five books of the New Testament that was written by John the Apostle, brother of James, written anywhere between AD 85 to AD 100. 1 John, of course, was written uh, to a church that was going through crisis, and to churches that were going through crisis as there were false teachers and false apostles being uh, sent out, and they actually made it their business to try to trip up Christians to spread their false gospel. And so here we are back in 1 John chapter 4, verse 7 through 11 is our main text today. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In this, the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you that we got to sit at your table and remember your sacrifice, the blood that was shed for us. God, we come to your word 
And we, we come again not with um, any haughtiness, any I know that already, but Lord, we come humbly. We try to, and we ask that you would help us to do that. We ask that you would touch our hearts. Lord, I ask that you would speak through me. Lord, I, I know you've done it in the past through a donkey, and I don't say that I'm better than a donkey, Lord, but I ask that you use me anyway. I am willing. In Jesus' name, amen. If you remember nothing, remember this. For the Christian, love is not an option. It is a hallmark of life, and without life, you can't have Christian love. Number one, Christian love is a hallmark of a Christian life. 1 John 4, 7 through 8, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. And I like how the New Living Translation actually renders this verse as well, so I'm going to read from that. Dear friends, let us continue to love one another. Dear friends, let us continue to love one another. That's important. For love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. But anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Notice that in this version, they bring out the fact that the Greek word for love there is a continuous act, not just something that happens and not something that is stagnant, not a noun, but it is a verb and it is an act of will, as it were. He says, let us continue to love one another. We have shown God's love as Christians in the past, but that is not something we just stop doing. All of us must continue. The attitude of the Christian is not one of, I've done this. I've done thus and such, I'm done, I'm ready to sit down, I have shown my love in service for so many years, let someone else do it. That is not what God said to do. Did God call you away from the last thing he told you to do? If not, then he expects you to keep doing what he's called you to do. Galatians 6, 9 through 10 says, And let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Now, John had just talked, as we talked last week, about discerning of spirits, knowing the spirit of truth and of error, and discerning who is of God and who is not. You know, he has not completely left that vein yet. He's still in that thought. So how do we see if someone is of God or not? Well, real simple, as well as the other ways we talked about last week, are they showing Christian love? Do they love one another? Are they walking in God's love? Now, that's not to say you won't get mad at somebody. Trust me, you will. Now, I can recount many times when I got mad and expressed myself while I was in in anger, and I don't mean I cussed or, or anything like that, but there are times that I have a hard time holding in my body language when I'm extremely irritated. And I have a hard time not showing my irritation at a situation or a circumstance. For example, I found out this Friday that I absolutely cannot go down to the post office anymore. See, there's a situation, for those of you that know, we have this bank of mailboxes, and it fell over onto the mail lady's car. Now, these are not mailboxes supplied by the U.S. Postal Service. So what they've decided to do is that they are going to put in their own mailboxes, which would be fantastic, because that means I don't have to keep it up, right? But 
I asked her on Friday, does that mean they're coming in a week, two weeks, three weeks, a year, two years? She said, I have no idea. Okay, well, I live in a small town, and, and you're only open from 9 to 4.30. I work between those hours. When am I supposed to come get my mail? Between 9 and 4.30. Can't you put it in my post office box? Yes, but any packages are going to cost you extra. Okay, I found out I was very irritated on Friday, and the postmaster could tell. So sometimes we're going to get irritated. And we may have to go back and apologize. And then we got to repent while we're at it. That is just the facts of life. Now, I don't want to be irritated anymore about this situation. So for me, the answer going forward is, I'm going to let Amanda deal with it. She can go down there. Now, the love that John's talking about here, by the way, is a lifestyle of love and giving. And when people look at a body of believers, do they see a loving, welcoming church? Now, I don't know of any church that would say that they are not loving, but I can tell you that from an outsider's perspective at some churches that I've been at, we see a different thing. We see when a church isn't loving. Now, this church, when I walked in, was extremely loving and still remains so to this day. Praise the Lord. But I can tell you uh, a little story. My sister, when she was looking for a church years ago, visited three or four Baptist churches. You know, she went into those churches and no one spoke to her. Not a person, not the congregation, not the pastor. They went in, sat down and left without any human contact whatsoever. It didn't matter if it was a large church, a small church or something in between. That was their experience. Now, I don't know of anyone who would say that our church isn't loving. Everyone in here, I know that if there was a need, they'd give you the shirt off their backs to take care of someone. And hopefully they have an extra so that they can put one on. Now, this doesn't mean letting people use you as a doormat or taking advantage of you unduly, but it does mean showing love. You know, Paul had something to say about a church that's full of churchy activities, where there's a lot of things going on, where sometimes Christians come in and and do things, and it, it salves our conscience and And we think we're doing God's work, but we really aren't. In reality, they have no love. And all those things mean absolutely nothing. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, and thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. But whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there are knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. 
When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I also am known. And now abide faith, hope, and love. These three. But the greatest of these is love. Now there's a lot going on here in this passage but I just bring it to our remembrance. Let it never be said that First Baptist, that we look like a church, but we don't have the love of a church. We don't love one another. Let it never be said that this church is nothing but contention and strife. Let it never be said, I'm going to put it in today's language, let it never be said that we ain't nothing but drama. Now at this point, in their church life, the Corinthians... They looked like a church, they sounded like a church, but they weren't nothing but drama, according to Paul. Paul had some harsh words for them, too. And he had some harsh words for people who play what I call the church game. He said this in 2 Timothy 3.1, But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful and unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, and from such people, turn away. Now there may be a lot of people in the world and in the church who are all about what looks good. I know a lot of churches who are all about what looks good. We got the best music. We got the best this. We got the best that. I know a church that installed fog machines. Now, I'm not against fog machines as long as it's at a concert. That's just my opinion. If you want to go worship there and you find your groove there, go for it. But that's not what we're about. We're not about talents and abilities. Now, whether that music is whether that's music or public speaking, finance or whatever, let me tell you this. We are about love. A person's talents or abilities in the world and now creeping into the church will make room for them when their character is not ready to go there. Let me say that again. Your talent, your abilities will make room for you when your character is not ready to go there. How many falls from grace have we seen over the years? 1 Samuel 16.6 says this, So it was when they came that he looked at Eliab and said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Now, we know that this was in reference to David being anointed king over Israel at that time. And this brings us to point two. Only through life can Christians love. Only through life can Christians love. And I'm going to tell you what life means in that context. 1 John 4, 9. In this, the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent his only begotten son into the world, that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Notice the scripture says that we might live through him. 
This means that we're supposed to live life through the power and the anointing of Jesus Christ, through a new lens, a new worldview, a new way of looking at things. And when we're dead in our sins, when we look at the things around us, we don't look through dead eyes. But when we look at the world through Jesus, we look through living eyes. Dead Eyes looks at the world through a selfish, self-centered point of view, a view that is skewed and perverted from God's worldview. And as a Christian, we grow, and once we become Christians, we grow in the grace of our Lord, and we begin to see the world through what we call a biblical worldview. Now, this worldview isn't just something that you can pick up your Bible and just read it, and then you begin to see through the lens of the Bible. It doesn't work that way. No, you must be born again. John chapter 3, verse 1, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. And this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do these things and these signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born again when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel, I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. And Nicodemus answered and said to him, How can these things be? And Jesus answered and said to him, Are you the teacher of Israel and do not know these things? Most assuredly, I say to you, we speak what we know and testify that what what we have seen, and you do not receive our witness. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven, that is, the Son of Man who is in heaven, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned. But he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. You know what happens when a sinner who is not regenerated by the Spirit of God, by the Word of God, tries to look through the lens of Scripture? Do you know what happens? Well, they end up messing it all up. Because they can't look through the lens of Scripture because they are still looking through dead sinner eyes. They're dead in their sins. You must be a regenerate, born-again believer to even begin to see Scriptures correctly enough to live the Christian life. So the natural progression here is if you know that you aren't a true born-again believer, what do you do to live and see through living eyes? Well, let me tell you something. Every person who ever lived except Jesus Christ is born into sin. 
We have all sinned, and our sin separates us from Christ. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But there is a hope, folks. There is the work of Christ on the cross. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. 1 Peter 2.24 says, He who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sin, might live for righteousness, by whose... (coughs) By whose stripes you were healed. Have you ever told a lie? You ever lashed out in anger towards someone? If so, then guess what? You've sinned. And according to the Bible, you're a sinner in God's eyes because you've rebelled against his law. He's the one who said that we're not to lie. And to lie breaks his law. Exodus twenty sixteen: you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Well, if you've lied, then you're subject to punishment, which is sin. And the wages of sin we found out earlier is death. But we know that God has given eternal life. What will you do today with that gift? That's the question. It isn't easy. It requires you to give up your entire being to him. It requires calling upon his name and yielding all that you are to all that he is. Let's be honest, though. When you look at a life that is in sin, is it really worth holding on to? Well, the answer for us here in this church is no. But how about those that are at home listening? Is your answer still no? Is your life really so great that you can't give it up? For me, the answer was and is no. What is it for you? So how does one receive the gift of Jesus? Romans ten thirteen, real easy. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Is that anybody in here today? Do you need to call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you need Jesus to forgive your sins today? If it is, you can say something like, Jesus, help! Because it's not about what exactly you say, but the intent of your heart. Not necessarily the words on your lips. And you know, when they, at the end of this service, we'll have a time where I would love to invite you to come to know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. This brings us to number three. Love is not an option for the Christian. It's not. 1 John 4.11 says, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Love for the Christian is supposed to be not only a natural outpouring of the Christian life, but it is a command to the Christian. First love should be a natural outpouring of a life that is filled with the communion between us and the Holy Spirit. James 2.18 says, But someone will say, You have faith, and I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. Galatians 5.22 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. Notice the first characteristic of the fruit of the Spirit is love. It's the first thing. Second, we're commanded to love one another, which should be easy if we truly belong to God and it's being poured out in our hearts and we're expressing that as a natural outpouring. Romans 5, 1 through 5 says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into His grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance. And perseverance, character, and character, hope. Now hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit, who was given to us. 
We have been justified by faith, folks. And because of that, we have access into this grace which we stand. Because we have access to grace and we are saved, we can rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, even in the midst of tribulations. Glorying in those tribulations produces some things. It produces perseverance. It produces character. It produces hope. And now hope will never disappoint the believer because God has poured out His love in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Seeing this, we know that we have the love of God in operation in our lives. Now, if we have the love of God in operation within us, then the command to love should not be an overwhelming command for us. John 13, 33 says, Little children, I shall be with you a little while longer. You will seek me, and as I said to the Jews, where I am going, you cannot come. So now I say to you, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. And by this, all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. John fifteen twelve. this is my commandment, that you love one another, as I have loved you. Mark twelve thirty one. and the second like it is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Romans 13 and 8 says, Owe no one anything except to love one another, for he who loves one another has fulfilled the law. And this last one I put in the English Standard Version because I love how it says it. Romans 12, 10. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Outdo. And there's many more examples in the Bible of the command to love one another. But I hope this little sampling, you kind of get the point at this point. We're to outdo each other in showing love and honor to one another. And you know, I looked up some things. What what do children think about love? And here's 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 what I found. Now, this comes from Billy at age four. He says, when someone loves you the way they say your name is different, you just know that your name is safe in their mouth. Terry, age four, said, love is what makes you smile when you're tired. That is true. My wife can make me smile when I'm tired. Elaine, age five, says, love is when mommy gives daddy the best piece of chicken. Ooh, I loved, loved that one. I was hungry at the time. I got to admit, I didn't get chicken, though. Anyway, Jessica, age eight, said, you really shouldn't say I love you unless you mean it. But if you mean it, you should say it a lot. People forget. And don't do it like an old deacon once did to me. I was serving as associate pastor at a church, and he'd come in every week, and he'd come up to me, and he goes, Joe, I love you, brother. It's commanded. (laughs) The sad part is he wasn't wrong. (laughs) And the last one, Chrissy, age six. Love is when you go out to eat and give somebody most of your French fries without making them give you any of theirs. Then I thought about that and I thought, my wife does that a lot. That's why she weighs a whole lot less than I do. Matthew 18, 2 through 5 says this, Then Jesus called a little child to him, set him in the midst of them, and said, Assuredly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become as little children, 
you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one little child like this in my name receives me. For the Christian, remember, love is not an option. It's a hallmark of the Christian life. And without the life that Christ gives, you can't have Christian love. How about you today? As the ladies come, where are you today in your Christian walk? You know, sometimes we get into uh, bouts of depression, apathy, and sometimes we just get mean. Now, gentlemen, you cannot tell me you have not just been in a mood. Let me tell you, your families know when you're in a mood. Ladies, you ever heard a saying, if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy? Yeah, you know, that's true. I didn't know how true that was until I got married. If mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. Where's your walk in your Christian love today? Are you doing everything God called you to do? You say, well, God ain't called me to do something in a lot of years. Well, then continue doing the last thing he called you to do. If he called you to pray, pray. If he called you to work in, with kids, work with kids. If he called you to work in the church office, work in the church office. Whatever God called you to do, you need to do. And you know what the one thing he did call all of us to do? Love one another. And like I said earlier, you can't have the Christian love without Christ. If you don't know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, I'll be up here. I'll pray with you. I'll introduce you. But I can't save you. Only Jesus can do that. If you have a special need that you'd like prayer on, I'll be up here as well. As we stand and sing the invitation hymn.